Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. I have the honor of speaking tonight. Um, we are continuing our series, Unfinished, which we are making our way through the book of Acts, not verse by verse, but we're just kind of flowing along. We're going to be in chapter 6 tonight, verses 1 to 7, and this is actually message number 6. So um, I've heard before that God has incredible math, um, and I never really thought very much about that statement whenever I had heard it. Um, But then on Wednesday night in my neighborhood group, we're, you know, going through different scriptures in the book of Acts, and all of a sudden I had this kind of like aha moment about how incredible God's math is. And so I'm going to take you through that with the book of Acts, because first the Lord's adding to the church daily, right? We continue to read through Acts, and then you see multitudes are coming to know the Lord. So we saw that the Lord's not only adding, but he is multiplying, and that his word is beginning to spread rapidly. And at one time, when there was only 120 of them, the Lord added, he multiplied, and then a couple weeks ago, Pastor John and Pastor Jordan had talked to us about the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and it was, we are discovering that sometimes the Lord subtracts. Um, so they were subtracted from the church by the Lord, which is a hard story to hear, but that is what happened. So the Lord adds, the Lord multiplies, the Lord subtracts. But see, my aha moment was in the moment when I realized the one thing that God never does is divide. That's the devil's work, that he employs people often to do this. But we're going to see some division here in this chapter for the first time, and we're going to see how the Lord corrects it, and then he continues to multiply again. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. You can just stay there because we're going to be there for most of the time. Uh, Any other scriptures that I mention will come up on the slide. Um, Pastor John, he had talked about persecution last week. Um, So he kind of went ahead into chapter 8 and took us through a couple different places. But I'm going back a couple chapters, and we're going to go to chapter 6. So here we have a very interesting case of church life and church leadership which works really nicely with our timing, with our annual meeting coming up and the selection of our deacons. Um, I love church leaders. I spend lots of time with church leaders. They've helped me grow. Um, But what I have come to learn, which I'm sure none of you will be shocked, that none of them are perfect. Not one single one of us is perfect. Um, I'm sure you can all say that. Nobody is. No church is perfect. No leader is perfect. I am far from it. But what I do know is there's only one perfect God with a perfect son who gives perfect salvation to imperfect people. And that's me. And that's you and that's all of us. And at the Neighborhood Church, we are devoted to prayer. We are devoted to the word of God and reaching people. And we've wrapped this up in a nice little sentence saying that we help people find and follow Jesus. Well, the most effective way to do that is for us to be united. 
and we have, to be, we have to be united in this pursuit, right? Because if we don't have unity, we begin to malfunction. Things begin to go wrong. So if you noticed, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but in the book of Acts, there's actually kind of this theme, this overriding theme throughout the book of unity. And after the church is born in Acts chapter 1, we come to the second chapter, and the very, verse, very first verse says that they were all in one accord. That's their, their unity, right? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of the bread, prayers. They did it all together. They were together, and they had all things in common. And then there was the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, So we find in the book of Acts a church beginning by being united in their pursuit of God's purpose and God's plan. And see, Paul describes it many times in the New Testament as the body of Christ. And I was saying this to Pastor Ethan in my office the other day. I was telling him like how amazing it is, this imagery of the human body. And we've talked about this in previous sermons before. But your body is amazing. Like it is a marvel. Like, there's just things you cannot explain about the human body. Your brain has like a hundred billion neutrons. There's nerve cells, and they're all interestingly shaped, and you're receiving messages and regulating everything that you experience from seeing to hearing to touching. It's controlling over 600 muscles in your body. Plus, don't forget about the tenants and the ligaments and the organs, right? all so that your body can function as a unit. And the head is to be none other, it's not the pastor, believe it or not, the head of the church, right? The head of our church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't forget that, right? And the Holy Spirit, I like to put it this way, is sort of like this nervous system conveying messages from the head who is Christ, to all the different members of the body so that we can have a smooth operation. We can work in unity. But if one part of your body decides not to cooperate, there's going to be some malfunction. The whole body actually ends up suffering. And I've explained this before as an example, but it's, have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? Have you ever stubbed your toe on the edge of your bed or stepped on kids' Lego? okay? It is not just hurting in one area, okay? It is like radiating through your entire body to the point that your brain wants to explode, right? And if you've ever had a heart attack, you would never say, oh, it just hurt kind of like right here, right here in this spot. No, it actually, your whole body is affected when that happens. So in chapter 6, we come to this place in church history where there is no longer, they're no longer in unity, So we're going to see a problem today, which we're going to walk through. We're going to see the solution, and then we're going to see the outcome. That's kind of how we're going to go through these next seven verses. So join me, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay. So what's happening? Where are we? Well, we're still in Jerusalem, okay? We, we haven't moved anywhere yet. So remember the 120 in the upper room? Boom. Then there was 3,000. Boom. Like 3,120 people in one day. 
They're growing. It's awesome. They're waiting. They're praying. They're spirit-filled. The church is growing. It doesn't stay at 3,120 because, remember, the Lord's adding to the number every single day. Chapter 4, you see 5,000 people, and that's just men, 5,000 men come to him. And then chapter 5, we see multitudes of men and women coming to faith and believing. And now, in chapter 6, we read that the disciples were increasing the number. So this is a really good problem to have, right? It's a really good thing. Gross, uh, sorry, growth, um, gospel-bearing fruit, right? This is exciting. But guess what? We all know, with people come problems, right? There is good, this is great stuff. Growth is a really good problem to have, but with more people become more needs and more problems, right? And they're not necessarily bad ones or like people like to say, it's just an opportunity yet to be seized, right? But it's still a problem. And here's the problem that's taking place. These Hellenized widows are getting neglected in the daily distribution of food and supplies, So who are the Hellenized widows? Well, they are Jewish widows who were thoroughly immersed in the Greek culture. So they're Greek-speaking, as opposed to the Hebrew widows who are committed to the Aramaic language and who are thoroughly committed to the Hebrew culture. So this was my question as I was studying, is why? Why are they being neglected? Because when we go back to chapter 4, if you remember, in verses 34 to 35, it says that there were no needy person among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So why? When I taught last time in in Acts chapter 2, it had said they sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. So why? Well, we, we aren't told, like, is it that they didn't like them? Well, I highly, highly doubt that. I think what was taking place quite simply and quite practically is that we have an instance of church ministry growth outgrowing the ability for the apostles to handle it all. And in the process, this group of women were getting missed. And perhaps they had come to the ministry maybe a little bit later than everybody else. Perhaps they ran in different circles than the apostles. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people meeting in different homes. Could you imagine us saying that about our neighborhood groups? Like thousands and thousands and thousands are meeting in groups like... Please, Lord, let that be. They could have maybe just been not running in the same circles. Like I said, maybe they didn't hang out in the same marketplace together. Either way, they just didn't seem to know their needs, right? So I think what's taking place is I think the apostles, however great a leadership group that they were, it was just beyond their task and ability to handle it all. And with that taking place, let me just kind of say a springboard to something. I think it's very relevant in ministry today and in the past and most likely in the future when situations like this occur, when growth happens, people are coming to Jesus, lots of things are taking place, a growing church that's touching people and seeing them become followers of Jesus will have challenges. Because you got all types of people, right? And we will need structure. 
So as new people come in, you kind of have two choices. As they, as they come in and these needs are arise, they arise, you can say, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm done. No more. Fend for yourself. No more vacancies. Doors closed. We don't want to start anything. We don't want to change anything. We just like it when it was 120 of us in that upper room. When everybody knew each other. When everything was the same. Potlucks every weekend. Right? And it was just so awesome. But see... This is the problem with that, okay? Because Jesus has promised us, he said, I will build my church. He is into building. He's into growth. This is his church. He will build this church. And don't miss this for the obviousness, but it is his church. It's not mine. It's not Pastor John's. It's not yours. It's not ours. It is his And the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily. So can this be inconvenient for our church? Most definitely. Big time. Right? So many of you are involved here in ministry. And you know that there's a lot of work. Okay? Especially when we're not only meeting with 30 of us in a room. Right? But how about our Martinsville venue? Okay? They set up, they take down, they tear down. There's lots of grunt work, right? Or how about now you you don't get to see people that you usually got to see because it's so big now that they're at different services and you don't like that time and they don't like this time. And, um, you know, or maybe they're watching online now, right? It's inconvenient, but this isn't ours. Trust me, I know it can be inconvenient, but this is God's kingdom. The neighborhood church is God's church. We're just under-shepherds called to serve in this time and this place so that more can come to know Jesus. That is what's happening. So that's option one, which is not a good one. Done, right? No more. Then there's the other option. You can adjust. You can realign. You can change. You can add leaders. You can add structure. And that's what I think is happening in verses 2 to 6. They delegate. They realign. And guess what? The people get to choose you. But before I read 2 to 6, I'm going to highlight something very quickly that maybe no one's going to like, but I just can't pass it and not say it. Luke records a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. The word complaint literally means explaining expressed in murmuring. Like it's the sound, you know, that murmur, murmur, right? Charlie Brown. You know the person. Are you the person? I've been the person. You murmur, right? You grumble. That's what this is. This is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 10.10 to explain what the Israelites were doing against Moses in the wilderness. Murmuring. Right? And I highlight this because I don't want us to read this text and see what the Hellenists are doing here as appropriate in spite of the end result. Was it appropriate that they were being neglected? Certainly not. But does that free them up to do the complaining? No. 
Paul instructs the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 14 of that letter, to do all things without grumbling or complaining. And sadly, there are people in our churches today that feel like this is their spiritual gifting. And they are full of the Spirit all the time. In spite of the fact that Paul makes it so clear. And these are just three places that I pulled it out of. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Galatians 5. That things like strife, malice, dissension, slander, all that can flow out of grumbling and complaining are works of the flesh. That this obscene talk that Paul's talking about in Colossians 3.8 has nothing to do with swearing, mom and dad. Because I know we all use it. I've used it, right? But guess what? You use it to instruct their kids to not swear. But then, as parents, we go on grumbling and complaining, right? And I'm not saying go and swear and cuss. That's not obviously what I'm saying. But I'm saying that Paul talks about, more importantly, more significantly, this obscene talk that is considered in God's eyes. It's that type of slander and complaining and grumbling and murmuring. Like, it's the sound. Like, even the sound is annoying, right? And um, this was the reason that the first generation of Israelites didn't make it out of the promised land. It's that serious. However, in spite of the means that they express this displeasure and inconvenience, the apostles respond graciously, and they agree that a need has risen. So we read now verses 2 to 6. And the twelve summoned the full number of the the disciples. So first time this word is used here, meaning learners and students. And then the apostles are the twelve, right? So Judas had died, and then there was eleven, and then another one was added. And it said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the problem was in verse 1. We've seen the problem. And now here's the remedy. Here's the solution. This is what the apostles do. They gather the whole church together and they say three things. One, is it not right for us to give up preaching to wait on tables? Therefore, raise up seven men of a good reputation that can oversee this ministry. But in choosing them, here are some qualifications. And then he lays out the qualifications in the end of verse 3. So what I really want to note here that's important is the apostles are not saying that serving in this ministry was beneath them. That is not what they're saying here. They weren't saying that taking care of these widows was inferior work. What they're saying is it's not their calling right? It's not the priority that they were to give to themselves, but it was priority for the church, obviously, seen in the fact that they said yes, right? If that's getting neglected, okay, let's start it, but we need help from other leaders. So yes, but we need to choose somebody else to do it. We want to choose people who are absolutely qualified, 
And so in the qualifications, you see, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, they are to be individuals that are practically experienced in spiritual discerning. So you have to imagine the apostles, the leaders of the church at this time, had a pretty big workload, right? In the early days, there would have been no conveniences. They're responsible for teaching and ministering thousands of people. And then to top that off, like any other family or any other church, problems are going to surface, right? That would require their attention, their time, their prayers, their wisdom. So with such a busy schedule, it would have been very easy to let their times of prayer and devotion start to slip away. Yet the apostles realized that because of the size and the significance of their responsibility, they actually needed to spend more time in prayer and more time in the word. And that's an amazing example for us as we face our busy schedules and our extensive responsibilities, right? So the leaders of the church needed to be devoted to this, so they needed deacons, they needed people to come alongside them and help with the workload. Now, many say, but not everybody, but many say this was the beginning of the deacon ministry in the early church. Many point to it as the beginning. And the raising up of this group of seven, and it allowed the apostles to devote their time to prayer and to the word. And with that, no distraction from ministry, and they were able to proclaim the gospel. That was their focus, no distractions. And you know, this is an interesting place to stop because this can be a scheme from the enemy, distraction. This tactic of distraction, it didn't work. But let me ask you a question. What would have happened if this ministry need was brought forward and the apostle said, okay, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, we are missing this. And the apostle said, oh, we'll do it. This is a big one for me. I'm like the queen of I'll do it, okay? Like distractions, even when they're good distractions, packed in these amazing, amazing, really good-looking packages, right? But if the apostles would have took it over, they would have been, sure, seen as really nice guys, really caring, hardworking, probably get really connected with them, you know, nice one-on-ones with the widows. People would have said really great things. They would have loved them. But guess what I'm going to guess? They probably would have been really busy. And as a result, I believe the preaching ministry would have suffered. And the prayer ministry that was the foundation would have suffered. And the church would have then suffered as well. And also, those who are gifted to actually oversee those ministries or to be deacons of the church wouldn't have been raised up. That wouldn't have taken place. And this is very common in our churches today. Leaders in churches today are so fearful of what people think. Because you know what? There's another church down the road to choose from. They want to please everyone. They want to say yes to things that are good, but maybe not best. And then the church suffers. Instead of saying, like, look, this is my primary calling that I have in my life. There are people in here that are gifted to do those particular things that need to be done. So we need to live like that. Because what would have happened is you would have had some burnt-out apostles. That's what would have happened. And you see this with pastors all over the world right? And non-equipped body members, right? With no passion or fulfillment because their gifts aren't being used, right? 
And as we learned last weekend, persecution is coming. And so to send these non-equipped body members into persecution that was going to come could have killed the church. So here's how Paul in Ephesians describes the manner in which Jesus puts his church together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. Now, this doesn't mean that pastors, teachers, preachers, prophets, evangelists don't do service work. That's not what that means. Nor does it mean those who have service giftings will never be told to witness or to teach. It it doesn't mean that. It just means that we each have primary callings and giftings that Jesus in his sovereign grace has called us to. So they set their priorities. They're not going to leave the word of God to serve tables. We're going to give ourselves continually, even more so, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I love those priorities. So moving on, you notice the qualifications in verse 3. So it says seven, and do you notice it says seven from among you? So don't go outside the church and just hire somebody who has a good resume Get somebody from in your own church who knows and understands your culture, your philosophy, your your ministry that's been part of the fellowship. They get it, and they would have a good reputation, hopefully. So that means that it would have to be someone that's been here for a little while, at least, that they've been able to be observed, to be watched, involved in some sort of capacity. And as others have watched them, they've developed a good reputation. Notice next on the list, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can have all the previous qualifications. If you don't have this one, it's worthless. You need to be filled by, controlled by, managed by the Holy Spirit. You need to be. A person who is spirit-led and is, has wisdom. And you see, the thing about wisdom is you can be smart and not wise. You can have a high um, IQ, you can have a degree, maybe of several degrees, maybe you have a PhD, okay? Knowledge is one thing, wisdom is the right application of that, of that knowledge, right? So all of that is observable. They're wise in their transactions and their decisions, whom the apostles may now appoint over the business. But you, as the church body, get to select and appoint those who will give themselves to serve. So you choose based on these qualifications, not because that person likes you more, they talk to you more, they're better looking, they're funnier, fill in the blank. Those aren't the reasons to choose somebody. You choose people who can advance the work of the church. And the best, and the best of the church need to actually make themselves available to serve in this way. The church maximizes its effectiveness when pastors and deacons serve wholeheartedly in their ministry. Being a deacon is a leadership position of this church. They take oversight over specific ministries, and the qualifications and the standards are high. But you should want them to be high. They're leaders of your church. And we can't lose sight of how the church grew. The apostles were devoted, so our pastors need to be devoted to prayer and to the word. 
continually over and over making prayer and ministry and the word the priority. And then get this, because you never hear this line. Number five. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Come on, people. Every single person agreed, right? Like, that's exciting, everybody. So I just want to say something here, just a quick note. Because the problem that existed in number one, in verse one, in this early church, right, in chapter six, was fixed by the Holy Spirit's leading the leaders to organize the church in a different format to solve the problem. That's what happened. So as I'm wrapping up and closing, I just want to point out some truths, a summary kind of, of what I've pulled from those first six lines before I get to the seventh. So the first one is all believers are gifted and called to ministry. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given a gift for the common good. Number two, God calls different people to different ministries. Paul writes that there are a variety of gifts and service and activities with the same God who empowers. Number three, I believe is a warning to be careful not to allow ourselves to get distracted from our primary calling. One of the questions that you can actually wrestle with in your neighborhood groups this week would be how do you in your life choose between good and best? right? How do you do that? Because it's very possible to be very busy in ministry and in our lives, but be busy in the wrong ministry and the wrong things. See, church, we're each called to steward the call of God that he's given to us, not steward somebody else's call that they have on you. And it takes wisdom and it takes discernment. Number four, No ministry is superior or inferior to another. All parts of the body are honorable and indispensable. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 12, which brings me to my last point, that all ministries require to be full of the Spirit. All ministries. As Peter writes in in Peter 4, for whoever serves and whoever speaks needs to do so by the strength that God supplies. So the end, what's the end result as I finish this off? What's the outcome? Well, we see the outcome in verse number seven. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God continued to increase. Don't miss that. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, what? Were becoming obedient in the faith. Do you remember some of the priests? Like they arrested the apostles, and now they're coming to faith? How can something increase if it's neglected? How can something, you know, um, something increase if they're called to proclaim it, but they get distracted from proclaiming it? But see, they devoted themselves to the word and to prayer, and the word of God continued to increase. And you know what else? The widows were taken care of too. The word of God is living and active. It is absolutely remarkable. Even the priests who are hostile are responding to the word of God and obeying the faith. Every ministry needs to be about these two things. 
guarding that never-ending gospel word of truth in a world that's changing every second of every minute of every day. And always about raising up new widows and new orphans, new believers. And that's what we need to be about, speaking on behalf and standing in the midst of. We can't have a ministry that only contends for the gospel and doesn't care about people. Right? And the same way we can't have ministry that is only about people and there's no proclamation of the gospel. Right? We need both. And my prayer, church, is that there'll be no obstacle inside the church or outside the church that'll hinder the word of God, the truth. And the same power that brought all those thousands and thousands of people to the church in Acts will be the same here at the neighborhood church. Here in Saskatoon. That's my prayer. But there's work to be done. There's needs. The church isn't just about showing up and doing nothing. Worship team, you can come up. Sorry. I love the capital C church, like the church. But I'm especially grateful for the local church, like this, the neighborhood church. And I'm not talking, saying that just because I work here. Um, it was before I worked here that I knew how lucky I was to walk in these doors. Um, we get to learn from an amazing biblical-based pastor. Our lead pastor, Pastor John, has a call and a heart to preach and teach the truth, the word of God, and he is devoted to prayer. I see him behind the scenes. This is true who speaks truth into my life, into our lives, and then he leads us and loves us in this community. And we need to come alongside him because that's who God's called for the neighborhood church. God is so wonderful and so powerful, but his word is so deep that we will be learning about him till you take your last breath. And then hopefully graduate up into heaven. And since the goal here is for Jesus to build his church, we are going to expect growth. This church is going to grow. And as growth happens, and we have people from different backgrounds and different cultures and different races and different ages and different genders, there will be needs and we will need to meet them. There will be work that needs to be done. And this is where our deacons come into play. This is where you come into play. Since the time of the apostles, the church has been appointing members of your church to do the work for the church, to further the gospel. So the application, because all of us are at different stages in our lives right now, online, in this room. Now what? Like, great message, but now what? Well, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, and this is the first time you've ever heard this, I'm inviting you to accept him today, and we will do that in our prayer time. Maybe you attend here, but you're not a member of the neighborhood church. Step up. You get to vote. You get to decide who your leadership team is. Become a member. Have a choice. And then say you are a member. You need to consider now carefully, prayerfully, who should be placed into these roles. 
Maybe you need to consider being a deacon. Maybe you are one of our best. We need our best. Or maybe you just need to use your gifts somewhere and maybe lead a group, help with a ministry. Maybe you just need to get involved and start showing up every weekend. It could be that simple. If any of that is you, any of those, you can fill out your Connect card, which we'll talk about a little bit in the service, and we will make sure that we make those happen. So if you're here today, please stand with me, and we're going to pray as we close. And we're going to go into a time of worship. Um, online, you just pray wherever you are. Um, and we've got a few things to pray about here. So Lord, I, I thank you that I am able to study your word and to talk about it. I thank you for those that you've called to be pastors, especially our lead pastors, Pastor John and Donna. I thank you for the ways that they study and that they share your word. I thank you for the love that they have for each and every one of us. I thank you that you've called them to be our shepherds. Father, fill each of those pastors, all of our pastors, with your presence when they're preaching, Father. And to hear their prayers that, you know, and provide all that they need to grow in your kingdom and give you the glory, Father. We give you thanks for how you've blessed your church. For how you're continuing to build and shape your church. And for giving us the joy to even be able to appoint new deacons to serve your church. So, Father, I ask for a blessing over our deacons as well as the new ones, whoever they will end up being, that they will have true humility and be faithful in your service, Father, that they will come to serve rather than to be served. They'll be ready to do the work and they'll be ready to love our people. And, Lord, I pray for wisdom as a congregation to know who these people are. This is your church, like this is yours, and we want to do our best to serve you in this season, Father. So stir up our hearts, stir up our minds, and reveal to us who you think should fill these positions, these very important leadership roles, Father, to come alongside our lead pastors. And Father, if anyone who doesn't know you here who's praying with me today, I invite them to pray this, and even just everybody right now, just a reconfession of faith to you, Father. So if you want to join the multitudes that are coming to faith, pray with this with me now. For too long, Father, I've just kept you out of my life. And I don't want to do that anymore. I'm a sinner. And I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to call you my Lord, my Savior. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I thank you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. Come into my heart now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. 
If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.